as we pause between Advent and the coming year, I think it's appropriate, I think the Scripture would challenge us to examine if we can see God in the midst of the aftermath. To see that He is committed to us, His people, in the midst of the aftermath. That is, in the midst of things having not gone the way that we thought. In a year like this, like 2020, we are surrounded by reminders of just how quickly life can radically change. And it can. But it's not really the change that messes us up, is it? It's not knowing what to do with it. What do you do when you can't go to the store and get the things that you need? Or what do you do when your kids can't go to school and you're not equipped to help them? What do you do when just talking to someone you care for deeply could put your life at risk? You see, these are the moments that we realize we didn't know that we weren't ready. And we shouldn't be fooled to think that 2020 is unique in this this case either. Think about all of the micro-2020s that we have experienced in our life, and we will continue to experience as we go. The 3 a.m. phone calls, the uncovered secrets, the expected news never coming. The moment you realize you don't know, you didn't know what you were getting to, and now it's too late. So when you're alone, and we can't put together all that's happened, or what could still happen do we see the Lord in the midst of it do you see his commitment to his people in the midst of it do you trust him do you trust that he has not changed his mind toward us do you trust that he is not fluctuating in capriciousness hot one moment cold the next, like many of us would be? What things do you tell yourself in the cold of the morning when you can't sleep? If only this would happen. Or if only this thing would have took place. If they just said this. If they just saw this. God, if you just did this one thing. Do you see and trust the grace of God towards you, His commitment towards you, in the midst of 2020 and the rest of life. Today, I am aiming for us to see at least three reasons, three ways that God shows Himself, shows His commitment to us as His people in the midst of the aftermath. Three ways we can be reminded Three ways that we can anchor ourselves to and see that He functions both in our passage today and in our lives with us. So I need help, so I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to ask the Lord to help me. And then we're going to read our passage. Heavenly Father, Lord, I need... uh, I, I would love, Holy Spirit, for You to move in power right now. So I pray, Lord, that You would tune their ears to hear You, to ignore 
everything that I think needs to be sprinkled in this, Lord, and to be changed by Your Word and Your power, Lord. I pray, Jesus, You would be glorified, magnified above all, Lord, and I pray that You would help us as we go now. In Jesus' name, Amen. So in Genesis chapter 15, it starts, After these things, the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river river of, of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the, Kena, uh, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Amen. This is an odd passage uh, that's not lost on me. But there is, there is much to be said about how God works in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the way that we think things should go when they don't. And it shows here how he does that with Abram. You see, our passage begins 
in a context that we would not expect because the previous verse, the previous chapters, is a great account where God has taken Abram and just 300 men and has defeated five kings. Uh, These five kings, before Abram defeated them, they were uh, less than the number that they fought and they defeated them. So the chapter sets us up in 14 to understand that God has done a mighty thing conquering those who we would all put our money on And yet with Abram, just a traveling Bedouin and his 318 men, God delivers these people over to him. And what we would expect, if it was me, I'm thinking, that's right, attaboy, Abram, way to go. Glad you showed them who's boss in these parts. But that's not what we see here. We see God coming to Abram, and Abram is actually very aware of what I imagine battle makes many aware of, and that is just exactly how close life can end with the simple fling of a sword. Just a moment away. And so when God comes to him, comes to Abram, it's not a pat on the back. It's not a way to go, buddy. It's not a there you go, you showed them. It's Abram, I am your shield. I am your shield. I am your protection. I am what keeps you safe. The same way I handed them over to you, the same way I keep you guarded and protected. And Abram, in the midst of all of this, realizing he's fading away fastly with no son to be had, hears the Lord tell him what he's heard many times before. Your reward shall be very great. Now, so often when we realize our own weakness and we hear words of encouragement, we hear things that people bring to us, in, and rightly so, I think we respond like Abram. You see, Abram doesn't say, thank you, Lord. I kind of sort of lost my way there. I appreciate you setting me back on my feet and encouraging me. He says, what could you possibly give me, God? What do you have for me? Because I'm about to die, and I am going to die without any child, without a son. What, what reward could you possibly give me? As In fact, just so you know, I am already making arrangements. I'm already planning for a servant of mine to take over my household. You see, Lord, if he does right by me, he'll bury Sarai, he'll he'll bury me, he'll set us on our way, and then my stuff will become his stuff, and his house will be built, and Abram's will not. So how, Lord, how could you tell me that you're going to do this for me when clearly this is the way? Yes, like Abram, so often we think we know what the way is, right? And so these things become really disruptive for us as we face things like 2020 or or whatever it is, the micro 2020s. We look at it and say, well, what are we supposed to do with this? What are you going to do with this? Because I mean, I'm, I'm not great at math, but as far as I know, I need at least one son to have a nation be built. 
And it is in this that we see that in the midst of weakness, God comforts. You see, he comforts in a number of ways. He comforts first by reminding Abram that he is there, he is his protection, and his reward will come from him. But he also comforts Abram by telling him his way is not going to be right. Abram will not be allowed to compromise. And so often we don't realize that's exactly what our way is. It's a compromise. It's not a movement of trusting the Lord. It's a movement of us trying to do what only the Lord can do. And so we act like it's us following faithfully, but really what it is is us not trusting the magnificent ability of the God whom we serve. And so Abram is not allowed to settle. You see, it's at this moment, this moment where God refuses to let Abram have his way, that God actually unpacks and shows how it is his purposes work. It's his craftsmanship. You see, the craftsmanship of his purpose is that God is not about doing things the way that we would. Because if we were going to build a nation, we'd look for a very handsome young man and a very handsome young lady, very much with many days ahead of them, and we'd, we'd say, you're going to be a nation, and you're going to do mighty things through there. And that, God, that would be a great way of doing it. But God doesn't do this. No, in his craftsmanship, he looks for the unable. He looks for the barren. And he brings them and he says, I'm going to do a great thing for you. Why? Because he's in the business of being remembered. He's in the business of doing great things so that his name will be praised, so that he will be thought of, so that he sits in our hearts, in our minds, and we look at him and say, there's no way ever this could happen if it was not from him. And thank you, Lord, thank you that you do these things. And so in the midst of that, he encourages, he comforts. And he takes Abram out to the night sky, and the scene is set for us. And it's, I want us to think of this as, as almost like a flashback into Genesis 1. You see, God takes Abram and he points out the stars. He says, look at the stars, Abram. That's right, the ones I put up, the ones I put there, spoke, and out of nothing, they hung themselves where they are. He says, if you can number those, which we know he can't, so will your offspring be. Now, I looked it up briefly, and supposedly from Earth, at, I'm assuming the best vantage point, the naked eye could see somewhere around 5,000 to 10,000 stars. It's overwhelming. It's meant to be overwhelming. It should have overwhelmed Abram, and it should overwhelm us. You see, what we find is not only what God is able to do, but in all this, not just flexing his muscles for us to say, look how I am able, which is good for us to see how he is able, but he stoops down to our level, and in grace, he says, calm yourselves. Trust me, I am able. I am able to be trusted. And he encourages us in the midst. We ought to know the damage that sits around us 
as we, sits in the, as we sit in the midst of 2020 and the other micro-2020s. And know that God is committed to us. And that though we see obstacles in front of us, they are for Him but a way for Him to display His craftsmanship in the way that He does His purposes in His people's life. Do you see this? It's all grace. It's grace to us. He certainly does not have to show us, but He does. Our second point is in the midst of faith, God encourages He encourages us. As a response to what the Lord has done, the narrator hits the pause button and he makes this comment. He says that Abram believed the Lord. He says he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, what's happening here is Abram is now entering in to an an arrangement with the Lord in which he interacts with him appropriately. And it may not have just happened in this place. It could be the culmination of the entire account, his entire dealings with the Lord. But the author wants us to know that Abram is in a position before God that he is counted as judging him rightly. And so Abram, in his weakness as he understands all these compelling arguments for why this should not happen, how this should not be what takes place, God sees that he trusts him, and it is seen to be as though he is rightly judging the Lord. It is counted to him as righteousness. There is much to be said there. There is much to be said there. And as he has faith, And in his faith, he says, how can I know, Lord? How can I know? You see, we are a people that values a guarantee. I imagine if I were to ask you how many people have bought warranties in the last two months, a lot of hands would go up because we value a guarantee. And for Abram... It is not that he does not trust the Lord, but it's how will I know? How can I have a guarantee for what you have promised to do? And so the Lord, again, as he did, as he set him before the stars, tells him to collect animals. And the significance of this is great because he is telling Abram to prepare for covenant. In this day... The covenant was significant because you would bind yourself to another by entering into an agreement. And in this agreement, you would be bound. There would be no way out. In a sense, some have said that you are, in a sense, becoming next of kin with these people. And so God, Yahweh, has entered in, has set Abram to enter into covenant by grabbing these beasts. And finally, we can see as a result of this that in the midst, God binds Himself to His people. He sets that He is committed to His people. And in this, we find that because God's calling on the covenant is done in a very radical way. 
the way that the procedure would go, as we have seen, is the parties would take these animals, they would cut them in half, sorry about the gruesome nature of that, and they would make a path. And as they would recite their oaths to one another, as we see here later in the text, and they'd be walking through these beasts, they would be saying essentially, let what I say be true, lest I become like these. You evoke a curse. And so what we have here, though, is not Abram and Yahweh walking through the pieces. We see Yahweh going through the pieces. We see in our own terms, in our own way, the way that we understand Yahweh evoking the curse. So Abram can have a guarantee that his word is good. Paul tells us in a very interesting connection that likewise Jesus bore a curse for us. It says that he became a curse for us for, so it is written that he who hangs on a tree is accursed. It is very interesting that the Lord would choose to guarantee his word not for himself, but for us to know that what he says can be trusted. In the midst, you can be entrusted that God is committed to his people. And as God goes through this, and as he lists what the life and what, what will happen beyond Abram, he mentions a number of things. And if you caught it, it's not exactly the kind of list of things that we would choose, right? He says they're going to be slaves. They're going to have a lot of trouble. Things aren't going to be easy for them. Does this sound like the kind of covenant anybody here wants to enter? Not likely. However, what we find is that God has nothing to hide from His people. Why? Because it is worth enduring the suffering for the promise. It is worth enduring the trouble for the promise of the covenant. And what God has promised, though the suffering will come, there will be an end. And He shows that very clearly here. And did you notice what happens to Abram? He sort of just has this sort of this afterthought. He says, you, I don't have a lot to say about you. You're, you're just going to die. You're going to have a son, of course. The nations will come. You will have a son. But you're going to go to your fathers. It's interesting to me. Because I think in our world, we have a tendency to think that the plan is about us. We have a tendency to think that we're at the center of what God's doing, right? You know what I'm talking about. God's got a plan for me. Boy, and if it doesn't happen, something's not right. We are faced with the cold hard truth in this passage that the very one whom the covenant is made with, the very one whom is at the center of the story, is insignificant. You, Abram, your job, trust me and die. But there's more. There's certainly much, much more. Do you know, Christian, that this is your heritage? 
Do you know this is where you come from? You see, at the end of the passage, when it says that the land is promised and there will be a great people displaced, it is an image that is pointed to Abram to signify the fact that there is far more going on here than what he thinks. It's much further than just having Isaac. It's much more than just having a son. I got big plans for this world, Abram. I'm going to do amazing things. And it's going to start with you trusting me and me doing the amazing thing of giving you a son. And from that son will come a seed. An offspring that will start as a great people. And then as the years go by and the centuries and the millennia pass, there will be the culmination of that seed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul calls him the true seed of Abram. And if you are in Christ, this is your heritage. If you are in Christ, this is your line, your story. In the midst of old age, no family and barrenness, and, even, and every other obstacle the Creator God has, has pursued, His people has pursued you and has pursued me. His plan was to give and fill the land with offspring, but the fullness of it, filling the earth through who are in Christ. Heirs by Him according to the promise. If you are not in Christ, I'm glad you're here because this is written for you too. The Apostle Paul in Romans, referencing this passage and really all of the Abraham account, says, No unbelief made him, speaking of Abram, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his, in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us, to you, who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Christian, this is your heritage. But this is your encouragement as well. Unbeliever, if you're here and you do not know the Lord Jesus, you can be encouraged as well in your unbelief because you can know that God of, of history, the God, Yahweh, has done a great thing through, through all time. And it has moved through the millenniums and around the earth and it is here now before you for you to believe and trust just as Abram did. Will you trust it? Will you? As we conclude, in the midst of weakness, we are comforted by the Lord. Yet even so, we are comforted by His work in our weakness, in our inability. Recall how the Lord comforted Paul in his affliction, stating in 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect What? In weakness, not in might. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, persecutions, calamities. What? For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
This is the craftsmanship of the Lord in His purposes. He is committed to His people. We need to be reminded in the midst of life's wreckage that God is still there and is still doing His plan. He, has not, he is not surprised. He is not derailed. He is there. He is about His work. We must see the endless grace over and over and over again in the wreckage knowing that He is there. He is committed to His people. Look. Look at Abram how nothing changed, right? The Lord did not tell him anything new. He told him the same things, redundant things. And Abram believed and God showed him, I will do it that way. So do not miss this. In the midst of what you are in, in the midst of what you will be in, in the midst of what you are coming out of, God is not surprised. He is not shocked. He will not slow down for one moment. This should cultivate your faith. It should encourage you in your weakness. But most of all, most of all, as we sang before, let our affections be multiplied. Be amazed at who it is that we serve, who loves us and who invites us, not just to see what He does, but to experience it together as His people. Let your soul overflow with worship for the Lord. So when the, ma- when the aftermath comes, we look at it and we say, that's nothing. That's nothing. And we remember God who has built nations from the barren. Who has delivered people from the hand of Egypt. Who has handed over the land of Canaan. Who has installed kings and removed kings the same who has judged His people and restored them again, who has come incarnate as the infant, served as a slave, never sinned, died a sinner's death, and raised in glory. Amen. Who is reigning even now, who by His Spirit established a people who took and sent throughout the world, starting in in, in Jerusalem and then going out among the nations, all the way through the continents, all the way through year after year, gospel being preached, gospel fruit being harvested over and over for millennium until you and your ears first heard the gospel call and the Spirit of God woke you out of death and brought you to life. This is your heritage. This is our heritage. So when we face those things, we look back. And we say, you were in the midst. You will not be stopped, Lord God. You are our shield. And you are committed to your people. Let's pray. You're amazing, Lord. Uh, Our hearts and our minds simply don't have the capacity to consume all of your greatness. But Lord, we look to a day when that is all we will consume. We will not be plagued with sin. We will not be plagued with weakness. Lord, our minds will not wander away from your beauty. So I pray, Lord, as we are in the midst of 2020 and walking into the midst of who knows what, Lord, I pray that we would see these things and we would be a people that worship you with hot intensity. 
that see you in the midst, Lord, committed to your people, always working. Lord, we pray that you would encourage our faith. We thank you that you are bound to us, committed to us in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.